0: Spectrum Business works with small businesses nationwide, so we know that running your own business means doing it all. Marketing, sales, inventory, customer service, and more. Spectrum One for Business helps you keep it all connected for just $49.99 a month. Get fast, reliable internet, advanced Wi-Fi with security shield, and a free mobile line for one low price. Stay connected and do it all with Spectrum One for Business. Only $49.99 a month. Go to spectrum.com business to learn more.
1: Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is Jack Luke and today I'm joined by good friend and wonderful colleague, Simon von Bromley. And today we're going to be bringing you a breakdown of the top news stories of 2023 as voted with your clicks (laughs) on bikeradar.com. These are indeed the top stories as ranked by your precious page views. And there's a wonderful mix of road, gravel and mountain bike things in there. So something for everyone, including some surprising standout performers simon von bromley how are you doing today
2: very good
1: thank you yeah not too bad
2: haven't done much bike riding recently because i've just had a constant influx of germs from my little boy so yeah been a bit under the weather but you know looking forward to christmas and you know a little bit of break a little bit of time in between christmas and the year maybe get out on the bike
1: if it's not too cold of course, you'll be refreshing Bike Radar meanwhile all the way through Christmas where we'll still have our steady flow of wonderful content. But let's look back at what's been highlights for 2023 as voted well by our users. And number one on the top of the charts was a bit of a standout performer for us on site and probably one of the biggest live traffic numbers I've ever seen on Bike Radar. And that was the news that Rally brought back its iconic chopper for a fresh run of limited edition bikes. And boy, howdy, <laughs> was this one popular. I mean... My is an iconic bike, Simon, but I think, if anything, this just illustrates the uh, enduring power of nostalgia over absolutely all else. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I mean, you know, I don't know if we expected this one to go quite as big as it did. But then it, you know, when you think about why it's happened, you know, it's because it has very broad appeal. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is a really iconic design, not just within cycling, but just within the kind of, you know, especially British culture. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's just a certain generation of people, who, you know, all kind of around the, the Western world who just it's such a recognizable bike. So, you know, this
1: was picked up by the BBC. Mm hmm. Uh, we, know, we were uh, all watching the live stats with great interest like sadders stock traders <laughs> back, back in the office and when it went on BBC News there was like a huge spike on site it was very fun it's a shame you can't buy and
2: sell page views isn't it a Short, we could short other websites <laughs> that would be good um, yeah so you know like you say nostalgia just maybe maybe it's always like this you know I heard a kind of you know, a YouTube video essayist Lindsay Ellis once talk about the, the rose tinted rear view mm. mirror and how like you kind of look back on the 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 past with you know, I, I, this feeling that things were better than they were. And, you know, like, I've never ridden a rally chopper, but I have to say, like, they look like trash. <laughs> 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 um, but, you know, if you had one as a kid, there's that kind of thing, or you knew someone who had one as a kid and you really wanted one, is there's that thing of looking back at it and being like, wow, what a cool design, man. You know, it's so iconic. It's so unique. And it's just like, it doesn't necessarily have to be... Is this the bike that was in Stranger Things as well? Did they have a chopper in Stranger Things? I thought it was BMX.
1: I haven't watched Stranger Things. I'm really sorry. I mean? Like, like, Or ET, for <laughs> yeah. example. That's that might be more also bmx's i'm really sorry Simon. okay
2: well but but you know it's kind of like that from that like era and, and i think people just look back on this stuff fondly and there's, as you say just a kind of a little bit of a nostalgia hit just really this this one just really got people in in right in the feels
1: didn't it? <laughs> as online people would say it's really funny saying the uh the um rose-tinted rearview mirrors because one of the pieces that kind of highlights the story was that legally it was actually really difficult to bring this bike back to market because safety regulations have moved on so considerably since the 70s that this kind of bike is like, <laughs> no, no, why would you do this? <laughs> so the uh, the design of the bike was very moderately changed compared to the old one. But really, like, unless you were a proper chopper nerd, you'd be very, very hard pushed to compare the t- or to tell the two apart. And... They've sold out completely. There was a second run a little bit later in the year. Again, they've completely sold out, despite the fact these cost nine hundred and fifty pounds a piece—quite a big price if nostalgia is all you're after. But a very popular story, and, and Simon, the page views don't lie.
2: No, and it is funny as well because Rally, you know, especially if you're you know British, Rally is a very iconic brand. And otherwise, apart from this story, they've really disappeared off the face of the earth,
1: which is a bit yeah. unfortunate, really. Oh, I just think that's totally fair. I think in the e-bike market and cargo bikes, they're making some really, really good stuff now. That's fair, but it's very UK-centric. That is, yeah. I, fair I, I
2: suppose I'm focusing very much on that. You know, they used to make racing bikes completely, and yeah. they don't. But you're right; they do make other bikes.
1: So I think, yeah, you're right. Though the sort of cachet as a brand that it once had just isn't there anymore you know globally speaking in the uk is still a substantial player in the sort of urban and commutary bike market but yes this was a surprising standout performer from the year and if you want to check back at this story or any of the others please do head to the links in the podcast description we can read all about it number two again this one was perhaps slightly less surprising but this is the story that shimano has issued a recall of its road bike crank sets, 2 uh, road bike crank sets, manufactured over a certain era, affecting 2.8 million crank sets. We cannot overstate the sort of scale of this story. Certainly in my time at Bike Radar, it's the biggest recall that's, that's happened. Shimano is a massive brand, biggest component manufacturer in cycling. Again, no surprise that it affects a lot of riders, but I think it was the combination of the impact on shops and retailers also bike brands and also consumers that really made this like a big big talking point now things have actually gone quite quiet since October like early October when a class action Laura I sort of filing for a class action lawsuit was filed in early October but things have gone pretty quiet since then which is probably a good thing you know, there was a lot of questions at the time when the the recall was announced, particularly from bike shops as to how the recall process was going to work or the inspection and replacement program to Shimano's uh, wording. But as far as we can tell, you know, in our in our glass chamber of cycling media, I think it's going OK. Of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts at podcast at bikegrader.com. But several months on, Simon. What are your thoughts on the Shimano crankset recall?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's funny, actually. You know, this this is, as you say, a massive, massive story because Shimano is just such a big name in the business. But my dad, who's down looking after my boy at the moment because he's off from school, he even asked me about this and he doesn't really know anything about bikes. <laughs> wow, there you go. Um, and, and so, you know, yeah, he was asking, you oh, has there been any update on it? You know, what's happening? But you're right, it's kind of gone quiet. And I suspect for Shimano, that's the kind of like the good news. The ideal f- circumstance. ideal scenario, which hopefully means that people who have been affected... You know are getting their replacement crank sets fairly swiftly and fairly easily because otherwise I, I would expect we'd be hearing yes, people making a fuss. You, you know, I think there are, you know, definitely lessons to be learned from it in the sense that the kind of communications on this seemed pretty hastily put together. It wasn't clear when replacement crank sets would be available, what would be available to people. You know, a lot of brands, you know, 4i and Stages had to kind of scrabble to say, you know, this third party power meter brands had to scrabble to say, oh, you know, we'll we'll sort you out if you can't get a replacement power meter from Shimano, which, you know, you won't be able to. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I, I think there are still lingering questions for me. You know, my the inquisitive person in me still wants to know why. Why? why? Yeah. yeah, completely. What, what, what happened? Because, you know, I still have crank sets, mono crank sets that have not failed. But I have one, an Ultegra 6800 crank set that doesn't that sits within the, the recall codes, but it hasn't failed. So if I take it to a bike shop, they're going to, you know, most likely turn me away and say, this is fine, mate. Don't worry about it but like you know i also have other ones that are outside the the product codes that haven't failed but again are these crank sets at risk i really have no idea i probably will continue to ride them i can inspect them myself you know i'm an experienced cyclist you know right, i'm very <laughs> I'm, I'm very sensitive to noises on the bike you know like it doesn't feel like a extreme level of risk but it, nevertheless at the same time you know, if you had a number of bikes with Shimano cranksets, you know, perhaps expensive ones such as Dura Ace, you, you know, you would and and you know, like you perhaps you're a you know a larger, more powerful cyclist than someone like me, and you you know maybe a bit harder on your kit, you you would be thinking twice about it, especially if you you know took part in you know high speed group rides, you know, road in the mountains with lots of high speed descents, you know, kind of slightly more risky riding. So, I I think Shimano still has a has a long way to go to kind of like tie this tie all the loose ends up on this story uh, and yeah like you know we do want to hear from you know shops people mm. c- customers consumers yeah anyone who's kind of been affected by this you know how, how has the resolution been you know i mean like, hope, hopefully jack i mean you know you're you know sort of involved in content uh
1: commissioning in this in this uh in this organization you know might we follow up on this in the new year definitely i, I just echo what you said where i think shimano would have done very well to empower riders and shops by better explaining the causes behind this, because there's been tons and tons of speculation, quite unhelpful speculation as to what's been behind it. And I would love to have written a follow-up being like, this is the common link. Perhaps there isn't one. Like engineering is is rare, or answers to problems in engineering are rarely binary, particularly when there's like 3 million impacted crank sets. But regardless, I think if we could have written a, a good engineering-led follow-up with shimano's input on this i don't think people would have turned their nose up at that at all and there has been speculation and some good writing out there about like why people think it's happening but you know a sample size of one or a dozen cranks or even 20 like it's not really representative of what's going on worldwide and the only way you'd get a conclusive answer is from shimano anyway yes if people have got Juicy scoops on this, definitely email me. I'll be well keen to hear more about that. <laughs> Slide into Jack's DMs. Yeah, yeah. But no, it, it was a big story this year and um, hopefully one that's been resolved for both Shimano's sake and those of riders and shops affected. Next on our list was the arrival of SRAM T type or transmission, which is an all new ish mountain bike group set family which does away with the rear derailleur hanger finally making public strams grand ambitions for its universal derailleur hanger standard so if you're not familiar with transmission it is a you know a standard external drivetrain the difference being that instead of a either removable or fixed derailleur hanger on the back of the bike there's a sort of a hole un- around which the rear derailleur pivots a massively oversimplified description of what is quite a, an a significant change in drivetrain design and that's probably why it was so popular you know anything that looks to challenge how we view or have used drivetrains till now has always proven popular in radar and given SRAM's absolutely massive impact or scale in the mountain bike world no surprise to see this one up there I think what's interesting for me is that SRAM clearly has more in mind with what what it maybe has planned for T-Type on the mountain bike side like, don't forget, this actually only came out in March, the first MT-type group set, and we've seen additional ones since at lower price points. And it's become quite ubiquitous in mountain bikes, both with OEMs, like loads and loads and loads of new bikes coming out with it, but, like, just out and about. It's out there. People are buying it. People are writing about it. It's it's in the industry and on people's bikes already. What I was, with my road and curly bar hat on, what I was speculating about earlier this year is we've seen a handful of gravel bikes with a UDH. Oscar wrote a really good bit about this in his predictions for next year. But I kind of imagined that given the level of investment and redesign that's gone on the mountain bike side, like generally speaking, road and mountain bike group sets have always been fairly similar in terms of design. This is probably the biggest split, I would say, in terms of interfaces, for example, in a long time. And I imagined that in time, SRAM would port over some of that tech to the roadside, perhaps trying to push UDH onto road bikes, which I don't think necessarily be a bad thing to have a universal, unified standard. But in my view, I think that's probably less likely now because the specialised Tarmac sl bit of a bellwether for bike design as a whole, as the tarmac has always been, doesn't use UDH. And I think if Specialized isn't adopting it for its road bikes, like the likelihood of UDH making its way onto road or gravel bikes in a significant way, I think is quite low. But back on the mountain bike side, it's been a big year for SRAM and they've really dominated the headlines and minds of riders out there. And I think it's all for Shimano to play for in 2024 if they have anything up their sleeve mountain bike-wise. It's been a pretty quiet year. Simon, I won't grill you on mountain bike questions because you're a man with Curly bars on the mind at all times. What were your thoughts on UDH?
2: Yeah, I I, th- I think, like you say, it the way that it kind of you know mounts directly to the frame like that. It is really interesting, you know, because Shimano has trial direct mount. Yes, of course, in a slightly different way. Before you know, you still needed a kind of hanger. But you know, it doesn't. It didn't mount to the kind of wheel axle like this one does. Yeah, you know, I think Sram's marketing team played a real blinder with this launch, with all the videos of people jumping on their bikes.
1: Oh, it was so clever! Yeah,
2: you know, because those just instantly went all all around the web. And you know, if you're in on, on kind of bike internet, you, you couldn't really miss it. Uh, and and you know, like that's an impressive thing because you know anyone who's used a derailleur based drivetrain will know that having a straight derailleur hanger is really critical to kind of you know shifting accuracy and performance and it's one of those it's one of the first things that can make you know a a high-end you know multi-speed group set go wrong and for sort of you know sram to just just kind of realize that solve that problem get rid of it Mm. it's a really interesting piece of innovation so you to go back to your point about could we see it on the road i i don't think we wouldn't because it isn't it isn't as applicable to road. I think it's more that Shimano just holds greater sway over the road bike world in terms of, you know, OEM stuff. Like, yeah, on the mountain bike side, as you say, SRAM has made enormous gains oh, over Shimano. Oh, yeah. Um, and... You know, I think if you'd look back at our tech predictions for this year, you know, we you know, we spoke about this in, in the podcast tech predictions we got wrong. You know, a few of our mountain bike writers predicted that Shimano would release new group sets this year. And it just it just hasn't happened for the mountain bike side, at least. So, yeah, uh, you know, it would be interesting to see what Shimano does. I, to be honest, I can't see them doing this I just it, because it's a ceramic. thing no but they,
1: there's no way they'll adopt it I, it would be such a significant change for them and like when have you ever seen brands shaking hands and going hey cool idea cool standard man <laughs> presumably as well i mean I, I don't know this for sure but one would assume they'd have to pay licensing fees yeah. or whatever. they're never gonna do it i would you know do bear in mind that udh bikes can still work with any other drivetrain you can get a udh 2 I don't know what you want to call it. Standard a hanger, hanger. Yeah. you know that's that's yeah. a thing that exists for all of their yeah. bikes. Regardless, though, you know that SRAM, this isn't the right word, but that SRAM managed to convince bike brands that they should adopt this across all their bikes is pretty impressive in itself and does illustrate their power over bike brands. But that only comes with confidence from consumers as well you know sram is is a big name in the mountain bike world these days hardly a revelation to say that but it's it's true they are a, a big deal and i think t-type will continue to make waves in mountain biking for quite some time
0: elevate every morning with tommy john's second skin underwear
1: back into comfortable ground for you you'll be pleased to hear we found uh sandy shores with the news that <laughs> from sea Auto this year that van Rysel the bike brand of decathlon mega sports retailer intended to become a top five global brand with the sort of kind of release sort of preview of five new bikes on to you simon tell me what were those five new bikes
2: so they were the, uh, the RCR, an aero road bike, which has, we just saw uh, very recently in its kind of high-end world tour spec, which has been built for the Decathlon AG2R team, because of course, Decathlon and you know its brand Van Ryssel are now sponsoring a world tour team for the first time in a very long time. That's obviously a very interesting development, but they also showcased uh, an FCR, which is an aero road bike pitched at Criterion. Now, if that sounds slightly confusing, because we've just talked about an aero road bike built for world tour. They are quite similar bikes. It looks like the FCR is going to be slightly heavier, slightly more weighted to, you know, short courses, as as it says, criterions, kind of flat things like that. Um, but we'll kind of have to wait and see how, you know, where the differences exactly lie. They've got a carbon gravel race bike called the Gravel GCR. So that's gravel <laughs> with the A removed because valves are very unfashionable. Uh, a carbon <laughs> in- <laughs> A carbon i ju- It's in- <laughs> one of these
1: jokes that I just... I'll never tire of it. Uh, yeah,
2: but I just don't know why. I Honestly, I don't know why brands do this. A discussion for another day.
1: Keep going back <laughs> to fan racing. I just can't work
2: out why they do it. Yeah. It's really annoying. I, I was going to call out another brand, but I won't. It's, it's irrelevant. <laughs> um, they've got a carbon <laughs> endurance road bike called the NCR and then a titanium gravel bike called the Gruvel Tie. You know, a pretty, a pretty full complement of road bikes.
1: Now, interesting amongst all this, you said, of course, world tour team. World Tour team aren't going to be riding around on an alloy bike with one five. These bikes are available in a very wide range of specs. And we described the new RCR, the uh, H2R are riding, as we say with very large quote marks, an affordable superbike at 8,000-ish pounds. Now, that's a lot of money, but in the context of like 12, 15 zillion pound uh, superbikes, it is cheap. And I think it's a line in the sand for uh, Van Reisel and Decathlon, where they're clearly trying to say, like, yeah, we are a big bike brand. We want to have a full complement of bikes. Not everyone's going to buy an eight thousand pound bike, but it creates that aspirational side of the brand, which was perhaps absent before. You, Simon, you sometimes commute on an old Triban, which is sort of sister brand to Van Reisel. It's a very good bike, as lots and lots of Decathlon and Tribans uh, affordable bikes are. It's quite agricultural. I also think that's unfair to say. The sort of design language of Van Rissel's bikes has really been refreshed, I think, for 2024. They look cool. They look contemporary. The new RCR looks quite a lot like a Tarmac SL7. <laughs> but, like, you know, that's a, it's, a, it's a nice, contemporary, modern-looking bike. And, like, it, it all matters. You know, like, you can't just be like, yeah, we're going to be a top-five brand and then release a bunch of stuff. Like, it, it feels like a more wholesale... Mm, refresh of the brand. And, you know, it's in our top five story, Simon. The people vote with their clicks. It's a brand that people care about. I think we could be talking a lot more about them next year. Is there, is there any bikes in particular from that range you are desperate to test, bearing in mind we haven't had any of them in hand yet?
2: I would really like to test the RCR. As you say, it is very much in the kind of mould of a, a specialised Tarmac SL7, which, you know, like... You you can't fault them for it really because that that was a very popular bike. It won loads of races. It's it's got everything people want. It's that kind of you know hybrid of of a light lightweight aero bike, drop seat stays, like aggressive geometry, like everything people really want from a race bike. And you know obviously as always we can't just judge a bike based on its on paper specs. You know you could get it and it could feel like really dead or it might the you know the kind of the way the geometry comes together just doesn't really work or or whatever. But you know, on paper, it looks like a really good start, and undoubtedly, eight thousand pounds, euros, dollars, whatever, is a lot of money. But you know that that build is for a, a completely top of the range build. You know, they haven't skimped on any parts for it. You know, it's got Swiss side wheels, a Dura Ace Di2 group set, you know, Continental GP five thousand tires, a kind of a new integrated one piece cockpit developed with Data, obviously a very big brand in components. It's it's not like they're kind of you know they haven't spec'd in-house wheels, for example. You know they haven't spec'd slightly cheaper tires. They haven't spec'd, you know, an, an alloy cockpit. So they're not cutting corners with these. Which, you know, are kind of again on paper. So they're kind of competing in price with the likes of Canyon and other big, you know, direct sales manufacturers. And so, yeah, it will it will be really interesting to see how the other bikes in the range play out. You know, five bikes is you know a full complement. The kind of all the other ones, you know, like the the carbon endurance bike, you know, the carbon gravel race bike will be really interesting one, for example. That looks, you know, it's fairly You know, all of these bikes are fairly vanilla, shall we say. Yeah. But then that might mean they have very broad appeal. Yes. Um, none of them are kind of coming out with any wild design choices that, are, you know, that would grab the headlines. You know, what's grabbing the headlines is the fact that people recognize Van Rysel and Decathlon as a really good value
1: brand. Yes. And a brand that you can buy almost anywhere. I think this... An important distinction to make is that Decathlon is a mega mega retailer. you can get camping gas to canoes, whatever you want, and they have presents like everywhere, <laughs> pretty much everywhere and they've they do make some pretty out there products, but they're not going to' not going set the world alight in cycling by doing something far out. I think this is a wise move to sort of ease in to their um their resurgence as a brand. I'll just stress one more time that, like, we have reviewed Van Rijssel and decathlon bikes for a long time now, but they have, generally speaking, been more, like, basically cheaper stuff. And it's always reviewed very, very well. So it's going to be interesting to see how they've tackled things at the other end. And as Simon's hinted at already, we're trying to get our grubby mitts on some new bikes. And hopefully in 2024, we'll have more to say about the brand. Now, speaking of things that aren't very vanilla, we actually have the news that Specialized, quite unusual. uh, This is not one I expected at all. But Specialized launched a very out-there carbon commuter bike, the Specialized Cirrus, which lost half of its seat tube to improve comfort. This is a really hard one to describe, but imagine a commuter bike with rather than a seat stay which meets at the uh, at the seat cluster, sort of meets halfway down where, where you'd mount the front derailleur. Where you'd mount the front derailleur, but then extending onto the top tube, creating a sort of other triangle just above the bottom bracket. That's a terrible description. Definitely look at a photo of the bike. I mean, I don't know where this came from. It's cool. And there was loads and loads of... Like discourse around the bike and what it could mean for road bike design in general—is a hint of things to come. As this like passive rear suspension, but like a, a weird niche carbon commuter bike is not what I expected, and nor is it why I expected to be so popular. But again, it shows the value in making weird stuff if you want to capture headlines. What do you reckon, Simon? Yeah,
2: absolutely. I think your last point on that is very salient, and you know, Specialized is just always a hugely popular brand. You know, we, you know, we we you know we often see. You know, people commenting on on you know on our on our coverage of stuff, and you know on the site the coverage of other media sites. Like, you know, why do you guys only cover specialized big brands? You know, Trek, blah blah blah. But the 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 truth is, is that we cover them because people want to read about them.
1: People click on it.
2: Yeah, and if and if you know if that stopped and people no longer wanted to read about specialized Trek and they only wanted to read about I don't know moots <laughs> or you know bowman yeah. you know we that's what we'd be covering Ult- ultimately you know we live to serve we live <laughs> Simon. <laughs> <laughs> such but, an so,
1: honorable
2: profession <laughs> yeah i just do this for honor yeah um but i think specialized is really good you know we talked about SRAM's marketing earlier specialized is really good at doing these things that catch attention you know like with the tarmac sla earlier this year you know they called it the the kind of little protrusion on the front of the bike a speed sniffer Genius. And that was just enough to just set everything alight. Because like real you know, realistically, extending the head tube for aerodynamic purposes has been around since, you know, the Pinarello F eight, which was a rim brake bike launched in like 2013, 2014, maybe 2014. It, it, but it, but it's that kind of, it's how you package it, how you talk about it. Now, I think originally when we we saw a patent of yes, this we did. Well dearly remembered. Yeah. dearly departed Matthew Loveridge, <laughs> <laughs> you know, now moved on to other pastures. I won't say greener pastures. <laughs> um, but he reported on a patent that we saw and, you know, we speculated whether this would be the new Roubaix, mm. you know, because it was quite clearly designed to kind of flex, essentially offer greater comfort. Now, it, it wasn't. You know, and and I think if I'd been around at the time when Matthew wrote that or he'd asked me, I'd have said, no, nah, UCI rules won't allow this. <laughs> so uh, it can't is the be the Roubaix. Roubaix. A
1: bike? Well, it is actually a UCI-approved bike, the Roubaix, isn't
2: it? It is. It's raced at?
1: Uh, Roubaix.
2: Roubaix. Roubaix. I was going to say
1: Flanders to be a wind-up <laughs> merchant there, but carry on. <laughs> but they don't
2: race it there. They all ride the tarmac. This this seems to be... It's one of those bikes that a brand such as Specialised can do.
1: Afford to do.
2: Yeah. And, they, you know, they're not necessarily going to sell loads of them, but it kind of like... You know, it. it you know, I, I've included a balance bike in my gear of the year, for example, and and I was looking up other balance bikes just to compare it. And special, it reminded me that Specialized did a uh, a balance bike that was one thousand pounds dollars. Thing. Yeah, and it was made out of little, made out of carbon fiber. Had like proper spoked wheels and everything like this. And it was like really like austere and grey, so dull. <laughs> and I was like, what kid would would want this? But then you're like, it's for adults. It's pitched at adults who have a, an interest in you know, industrial design, loads of money to spend. And I think this is kind of exactly the same thing. It's just like it's pitched at that kind of person. You know, it's a kind of, it's just a luxury item Mm -hmm. and it's pitched at that person who's got a real interest in, you know, different designs and kind of, you know, unique things. And, you know, it, it, it captured people's interest. You know, is it going to be a kind of like game changer in performance? Like, I don't think so. I don't, you know, on your commuter bike, I don't know how much comfort you really need well so that, would, that wouldn't be solved if you needed that much would you not just have a suspension or something you know yeah, it, yeah. but it, 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 there are other ways around this problem that didn't involve completely redesigning the frame but you know it's carbon and you can do these things and specialized clearly allows its employees to
1: a certain amount of creative freedom and that's pretty cool mm. i like by the way that you said have a suspension there that really showed your uh, <laughs> roadie stripes there <laughs> <laughs> i i don't mean this like we read a lot of News stories. Read a lot about bikes day to day, and I'm coming from this a slightly different perspective. But like, I haven't thought about this bike mm. since it launched. I don't mean that as a slight to specialized. But I think, like, yeah, it's a bike that did very, very well from a marketing perspective. And I'm sure it's it's probably a very comfy, nice bike. We certainly haven't had one in, and it's been I've not seen one out and about. I'd love to hear if anyone has gone out and bought the one, what they think of it. Again, podcast at bikegrader.com. Let us know what you think about the Cirrus Carbon. Maybe one to revisit for next year. You know, yeah, I think it kind of
2: plays into my perception of, it's an interesting contrast to the Van Ryssel thing, whereas I think like, you know, Van Ryssel as a brand is 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 very much like, you know, the bikes that they have released are all kind of like very middle of the road, very vanilla. They don't have any kind of gimmicks or anything like that. Whereas I think with Specialized, increasingly, they seem to be very keen on on you know, because we do live in an era where it's fair to say that a lot of people feel that all bikes look the same. Mm-hmm. So Specialized and, you know, tracking...
1: look like Tarmac SL7. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So
2: Specialized seems to be always looking for ways to differentiate its bikes from others, whether that be, you know, interesting frame designs such as this or through features such as Future Shock, you know, or kind of flexible seat posts, you know, like they, they, ha- they'd like, you know, they had to the diverge STR, for example, which had that kind of sort of semi suspensiony seat posty kind of thing and they just they they can't seem to make a normal bike anymore mm. you
1: know? i guess we're focusing on the top end though there's one thing to caveat that by saying of that, in the mid-range and low-range bikes look like bikes always happen <laughs> yeah, yeah of course but you know on yeah, their yeah. kind
2: of like headline grabbing bikes they are increasingly looking for you know like gimm- gimmicks is the word but like I don't I don't necessarily mean it in a, in a, in, a in a derogatory way. They are just looking for ways, you know, a bit like Trek did with ISOFlow, the hole in the seat tube of the of the Madone. You know, brands are looking for ways to differentiate their bikes. Uh, you know, oh, I love new tech. And I'm but I'm I you know, and, and I know you love the Future Shock, for example. You, you know, you've it's, it's reviewed very, very well whenever you've whenever you've used it. But it's not something that Tickles my pickle necessarily. It's not something that I I probably wouldn't buy a bike with a future shock, for example, mm. because it's not really quite my cup of tea, just kind of conceptually. Mm. But um, but yeah, Specialized is keen on this sort of thing increasingly.
1: Well, we look forward to as ever seeing what twenty twenty four is going to hold for us. Doubtless, lots of uh, interesting news for then ahead. I just want to quickly before we wrap up that was our top five. There's just a handful of other things in our sort of roundup of top stories of the year which I think are worth pointing out. Just sticking with commuter bikes, I was really surprised to see the Trek Dual Sport. A pretty, like, like quite a nice-looking, all-rounder commuter bike. That came in, like, well into our top 10 news stories. I think commuter and hybrid bikes, we forget that that's a very significant proportion of bike sales overall and absolutely worth covering. We always enjoy covering that stuff. If you are bike brand listening, don't just shout about your cool high-end road and gravel stuff. We want to hear about this cool stuff, too. Shimano Q's. We've talked about Q's quite a lot previously on the podcast, but it's Shimano's all unifying group set family, which gets rid of a lot of its lower end urban and mountain bike stuff, but also possibly maybe in 2024, a bit of road and gravel stuff. It's a like all, I don't know, it's got intercompatible big group set family and was unsurprisingly popular being Shimano. But I think there'll be even more of that to come as it trickles down into the OEM market.
2: Yeah, I think Q's is a really, I hope, is going to be a really big story in 2024 because it was, it was, it was a, you know, a kind of a bit of a soft launch, shall it was we say. A soft launch. You know, Shimano was not particularly forthcoming with information about it, mm-hmm. you know, what was happening in the future, why they were doing it, what was going to be available, that sort of thing. And, but actually, like, when you look at it and, you know, what it's replacing, mm-hmm. this this could be really revolutionary for the brand. And I feel like Shimano had. You know, in the past few years, slightly neglected its lower end things. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, but this stuff all looks fantastic. Yeah, you
1: know, it look, like it looks like the It looks like the really good ten speed Dior stuff for the most part. Like some of it's cheaper. The really cheap stuff is is for that part of the market. But the like mid range queues, U six thousand and U eight thousand stuff look great. It looks absolutely dialed. If I was a cyclist, I'd say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm hoping to buy a big batch of the U8000 touring stuff that, re- or trekking stuff that replaces their old XT trekking stuff for our tandem, because I think it looks great. And then all the claims around increased wear and stuff, I hope, I hope, because I'm about to buy it all, will sort of ring up true. But yeah, Q's not not a surprising hit amongst that, but again, illustrates the ubiquity of Shimano. And And a final point on that, Simon made the point already, Specialized Tarmac SL8 leak was another massive story for us this year. Like people want to read about new bikes. It's always good fun when we spot something uh, before it's out in public, Even, particularly when I think it's unplanned by brands. There's definitely, you could tell sometimes there's a bit of astroturfing going on where brands will leak leaks out prior to a launch to build a bit of hype. I got the impression this one was an actual leak. We did, it was photos from a team camp. Remember yeah, photos from a team camp yes.
2: surfaced on a forum and then everyone went
1: Oh, yeah, it was quick. A, it was great. <laughs> but again, just illustrates the point. Big brands are very popular. And that's a very brief overview of what's been our um, sort of most popular stories in 2023. I look forward to... I actually really enjoy this. I really like looking back at what's been most popular in site because it shapes kind of how I think about what we cover generally and perhaps what we neglect sometimes and things that we should do more of.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll be calling up Rally and sort of saying, could you please release a new chopper Yes, that'd this be year. very helpful. <laughs> that'd be
1: really good if you're listening. Simon, thank you for all your hard work contributing to Bike Radar's incredible output of news content in 2023. I look forward to seeing what you have up your sleeve, what brands have up their sleeve in 2024. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating. It's a wonderful way for us to reach new listeners. If you have any feedback, questions, scoops, anything, send them to podcast at bikereader.com. In the meantime, thank you for listening all the way through 2024, 2023, <laughs> and have a wonderful new year. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.